the first disciples. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said, and they followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of God, but you will be called Sophias, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, he explained, Nathanael. Can anything good come out from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. This is the word of God. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Can anything good come from Bangor? Can anything good come from Belfast? Can anything good come from Malayal or Moscow? Can anything good come from Nigeria? Can anything good come from Nazareth? That was the question that Nathaniel asked Philip, although I imagine what he actually said was more like Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth, Nazareth? Nazareth may have carried negative reputation because of being on a major trade route and close to a Roman city. 
it's been said that it was a dirty town where people took little pride in their surroundings and threw their rubbish onto the street. Whatever the reality, Nathaniel had nothing good to say about Nazareth and didn't have anything good to say about anybody who healed from there. From Nathaniel's perspective, the best thing about Nazareth was the road out of it. Nathaniel himself was from Cana, a town about six miles from Nazareth and similar to Nazareth in many ways, except that Cana was off the beaten track. So not only was there not much of a road into Cana, there wasn't much of a road out of it either. The other gospel writers called Nathaniel by his surname, Bartholomew. Bar means son of, and so Nathaniel was the son of Thalmai. Nathaniel means God's gift. And it's possible that that view of himself lay behind his prejudice comment about Jesus. Prejudice is preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. Often that opinion is unfavorable and regards a race, a creed, a group, or a person. Prejudice is based on generalizations, not on facts, and it causes harm. The murder of George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man in Minneapolis in May 2020 by a white police officer, Derek Chauvin, reminds us of that. As does the fact that much of the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah because of prejudice. They just couldn't believe that one of their own, the so-called son of Joseph, the carpenter from Nazareth in Galilee, could be God's gift to them. Nathaniel might have said to Philip, Philip, as I read the scriptures, Micah the prophet says the Messiah comes from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. Or he might have said, Philip, the Messiah is identified with Jerusalem because he's going to reign in Jerusalem. But instead, the depth of Nathaniel's ugly prejudice shows through Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Wisely, Philip replies, come and see for yourself. And I wonder if that in that invitation, Philip isn't just saying, come and see Jesus. But he's also saying, come, let's find out what Jesus can see in you. Nathaniel, to his credit, despite his low expectations caused by prejudice, travels with Philip to see Jesus. Clearly, he's intrigued by Philip saying, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. Nathaniel has a hunger for truth. He longs for Philip to be right, but he just doesn't think that Jesus from Nazareth could be the one they've been longing for. Nathaniel has already categorized Jesus according to his own way of looking at the world. Once categorized in this way, Nathaniel soon intends to disregard Jesus. Evidently, however, Jesus has been praying. Perhaps that the Father would show him the 12 men who are to be his apostles. By the power of the Holy Spirit, 
Jesus has seen a man sitting under a fig tree before Philip spoke to him. Often people sat in the shade of a tree to pray or to reflect on Scripture. I imagine in my mind's eye Philip with Nathaniel approaching Jesus and Nathaniel having something of a swagger about him and also some questions in his mind with which he intends to cross-examine Jesus. Jesus sees them coming, and before Philip or Nathaniel have a chance to speak, Jesus calls out, Now, here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. I wonder if Jesus speaks as they approach because he sees that swagger or because he knows that a man from Nazareth is not one from whom people expect much. Or because the Spirit has shown Jesus Nathaniel's prejudice, as well as Nathaniel's hunger for truth. Jesus isn't trying to get one up on Nathaniel. Jesus isn't thinking, I'll expose this man's prejudice and show him just what God can do through someone from Nazareth. Jesus doesn't call out Nathaniel's ugly prejudice. He calls out what is beautiful in Nathaniel. Jesus calls out Nathaniel's integrity. The picture that comes to mind for me is of an archaeologist discovering a hoard of ancient gold artifacts covered in mud. The archaeologist doesn't see the mud so much as the priceless treasure. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked, recognizing himself in Jesus' description. I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you, Jesus replied. Nathaniel is taken back by Jesus' supernatural revelation, but I think there's more to it than that. I think the reason why the Holy Spirit has spoken to Jesus about Nathaniel and given him a vision of Philip going to Nathaniel even before Philip arrived is because there's something very significant about the time that Nathaniel spends under this fig tree. That somehow Nathaniel knows that sitting under that fig tree in the presence of God is where Nathaniel Bartholomew is most truly himself. And in the presence of Jesus, having heard the gracious words from the lips of the man from Nazareth, Nathaniel quickly repents of his prejudice and exclaims, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. This, this time, it's Jesus who is surprised by the speed with which Nathaniel is convinced. Do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? 
you will see greater things than this. I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Nathaniel did indeed see heaven come to earth as he stepped into the fullness of his identity as a man of complete integrity and away from his petty prejudices. As one of the twelve apostles, he served Jews, Samaritans, Romans, and Greeks. After Pentecost, Nathaniel Bartholomew isn't mentioned again in the Bible. Tradition says that he went east possibly as far as India, and died for his faith in Jesus, the Messiah, from Nazareth. In reading the whole New Testament together before Christmas and the first five books of the Bible before Easter, we have been immersing ourselves in the big story of the Lord's rescue plan and hearing the Lord's invitation to us to step into all that He has done and all that He continues to do. As we read this book, The Purpose Driven Life, over these six weeks, we'll, I believe, continue to hear the invitation from the Lord in a very direct, personal, and practical way as the Lord invites us again to be His disciples making disciples. The book, uh, this book has a question that runs throughout it. What on earth am I here for? And I believe that the short and simple answer for us as Christians to that question is this. We are here to be disciples who make other disciples. Discipleship is an apprenticeship in which we proactively learn and follow the ways and patterns of our master's life, no matter the cost. Last week, when Chris Phillips from Open Doors spoke to us about our brothers and sisters in countries where there is persecution, we had a fresh glimpse of what that looks like. To be a follower of Jesus of Nazareth is to be redeemed by him as we turn away from our ugliness and step into the beauty He sees in us as we stay close to Him and do what we see Him doing. It's a process, a long obedience in the same direction, to quote Eugene Peterson. The 19th century Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard wrote, the difference between an admirer and a follower still remains no matter where you are. The admirer never makes any true sacrifices. He always plays it safe. Though in words, phrases, songs, he is inexhaustible about how highly he prizes Christ. He renounces nothing, gives up nothing, will not reconstruct his life, will not be what he admires, and will not let his life express what it is that he supposedly admires. Are you an apprentice of Jesus or simply an admirer? Paul wrote, 
Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. We live in a very distracted world where we are being tempted towards shallow thinking, to live life reacting purely to external stimuli, texts, emails, social media, phone calls, letters, requests, circumstances. It's so easy to live a life that is full of activity, but very little by way of deep thinking, intentional, purposeful living, let alone hearing the voice of our Heavenly Father or cultivating deep relationships with other people. It's estimated that every day we make 35,000 choices, many subconsciously. Our choices tend to follow certain patterns or practices. No practice is ever neutral. Practices form us either to be more like Jesus or more like the world. Here are some of the practices that describe the life of Jesus. Praying and fasting. Giving sacrificially. Engaging in Sabbath. Silence. Solitude and fellowship. Speaking truth reaching out to those on the margins, forgiving, peacemaking, encouraging, healing the sick, acting humbly, sharing the good news, eating and drinking with those who are far from God, doing justice, learning scriptures, serving the poor. Jesus said to his apprentices, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. When I reflect on the life of Jesus, I realize that I have a very long way to go. As I seek to reconstruct my life around the life of Jesus. Some of those practices that I've just mentioned are familiar to me. Some not so familiar. I find some practices much more difficult than others. But I'm determined to keep doing the ones that are becoming more of a habit and also to try the ones that I find so difficult. Because whenever I practice them in the presence of the Master, I discover the new joy, peace, and life that He alone can bring. And I've discovered that Jesus is a very patient, forgiving, and encouraging teacher who is always at hand to help. Despite all the ugliness, prejudice, 
and mud. Jesus sees in me priceless treasure. He sees beauty. And he is calling that beauty out. Forming me into the man the Father has made me to be. Years ago, I used to pray this short prayer. Lord, I want to be me. The only me that I can be. I like Jesus me. Lord, I want to be me. The Lord Jesus sees in you priceless treasure. He sees in you the man or woman that you were created to be. The man or woman that you know you have the potential to be. He's calling out the beauty, the strength that he sees in you. Inviting you to be his apprentice. To learn from him how to live fully and freely. To embark upon a long obedience in the same direction. That will require everything you've got. And it will transform this world. The invitation of Jesus for each of us is to be a disciple making disciples. As Paul wrote to his fellow apprentices in Colossae, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. Amen. As we reflect on that, as perhaps we make a commitment to say, Lord, I'm not just going to say with my lips, I believe that you are Lord. I am going to utterly reconstruct my life around the practices and patterns of Jesus' life. The choir goes.